Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And on Instagram and Twitter at Broadway Curtain. This is part two. Part dose. This is our first interview that we have that's part two. Our subject was so fascinating. We had to come back. That's right. For a part Long-winded. No. Not long-winded. No, we want more. More, more, more. Long-winded at all. (laughs) Mr. Leroy Reams. And we're going to pick up with Lorelai. Hi, I'm trying to think how it all came about, but I think I just got an audition for Lorelai for the role of Henry Spofford, uh, who's, you know, the millionaire athlete with the Olympic team that's on the boat mm-hmm. right. and all that becomes the boyfriend to the girlfriend of Lorelai uh-huh. and uh, Joe Layton director oh, choreographer nice. had you worked with him before never before but liked him immensely and we hit it off immediately and uh, the audition went well I got the job and did same, it take a lot of callbacks back I mean where uh, you know actually you not, I don't remember even having a callback I think I went in and booked it I did it and they <laughs> yeah. gave it to me and at the same time uh, when it was going to start, that's when uh, Bacall was going to go to London to do applause. And, of course, I was asked to join her. Right, yeah. right. And I would have loved to have gone to London. I've always wanted to work in London. And in those days, it wasn't that easy. But, yeah. you know, she would have insisted that I go, and that would have been it. And so I had to make the decision whether to do Lorelei or whether to go to London and do applause. Her agent, Peter Witt, oh, right. was then because my agent, agent yeah. because of her, mm-hmm. because of I had an agent prior to that, but then Betty wanted me to be with her agent, and of right. course, he took me on because she wanted him to, sure. but he told me that nice. I shouldn't go to London because I should stay and do something else to change my image because I had played a homosexual hairdresser, it was a big deal back then. Right, the first, yeah. talked about you know, earlier. positively out character. I didn't think that... about it one way or the other. To me, it was just a character that you play. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to be on the stage. So I never thought of that at all. But he said, you should stay and change your image and do something else. And he wow. said, if you go to London with Betty, you'll have a wonderful time and you'll run around and meet everybody. But it's not going to do your career any good to be mm. in London. And you've already done the part. You should stay and, and you should do Lorelei. So upon his advice, seriously, I thought, well, he made a professional decision for me because personally I was torn because I loved it. Oh, Betty. sure. sure. Loved to have been with her. So I decided to do Lorelai. Was the part, uh, I'm not that there are big parts or small parts, but was there was there more to do in Lorelai? I mean, would you say? Or uh, was it uh, Musically, yes. Yeah. More musical numbers Great. because Dwayne and Applause really did the... Um, uh, disco number right. when he went to the gay bar and also the she's no longer a gypsy with Bo- Bonnie Franklin right. which no was you know you should but and I also did numbers with Tamara Long who uh, played Dorothy who became my love interest yeah. but we had more to do musically in the show gotcha and uh, so and I was also kind of interested in wanting to work with Carol Channing so, you'd never worked with her before no I had never worked with her before when I was in high school at our uh, uh, senior prom Beverly Hills nightclub, there was a big nightclub in Covington, and that's where all the stars came to perform. And Carol Channing actually did her club act Oh, my there. gosh. And Amazing. at our senior prom, we always got tickets, and they would let the <laughs> high school kids come. And it was, of course, it was a gambling joint, and they served liquor. And we all knew, everybody in town knew it was a gambling joint and had a secret door that everyone knew where it was. But it operated for years and was a very big deal because, obviously, everybody was being paid off. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's the way it was. It was in Covington and Newport, Kentucky, in those days it was kind of like the las vegas of its day there was a lot of gambling and <laughs> nice. prostitution oh, okay. oh, going yeah, on that's you know right. yeah. so 
Anyway, that's the way Not it the works. prostitution, the gambling. Yeah. That's it. But anyway, Carol Channing did her nightclub act, and we were all there, and she sang Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend and Classic. tossed out these rhinestone bracelets with her name that was written on the clasp, and I caught two of them. And so uh, the first day of rehearsal, as we walked in, I had those two bracelets with me in my pocket. And uh, so I took them out and uh, said, Miss Channing, do you remember these? And she said, oh my, oh my goodness, where did you find? I said, I caught them at the Beverly Hills Country Club when you did your nightclub act and I was a senior graduating from high school. So that cemented our friendship and we had pictures taken that day. And actually, I don't know why I did this, but I wore a jacket and a tie to the first day of rehearsal. Classy. Because they, I just had a sense that it was going to be something more important than rehearsal, and it was. It was all publicity. Mm. They had lots of cameras, and, and of course, Carol's husband was quite a genius. Was he, he an official manager of yes, her? Yes, well, he was her husband, and yeah. they had met, now this is the story I was told, yes. years ago when uh, uh, Gracie Allen had cancer, and she was retiring, no one knew that, and George Burns was looking for a new partner. So being with William Morris, Carol Channing was a client, so they brought Carol out to California to kind of be you know, his new partner. And uh, Charles Lowe was a producer on the TV show, but he was actually an advertising man with Carnation, huh. who was the sponsor. And so that's how he and Carol became acquainted, and whatever happened, happened. And uh, then, of course, you know all the drama that happened later yeah. with you know, him being homosexual and all of that, yeah. and that stuff that hit the papers and all that, which was really unfortunate. I mean, I don't know really want to get into all that. That's probably another email. Well, it's... But, but anyway, it's... just to pass that. But Charles did everything. He was in charge, and she was very much... She did a lot of publicity, uh -huh. and was very much a star. And that first day of rehearsal, we were photographed, and that photograph we took holding the bracelets was used as part of the publicity because oh, we were wonderful. going on tour for a year before we came back to Broadway. Oh, wow. A year tour before we were Broadway. Tour a year and then come back to Broadway and Lorelai was you know loosely based on Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. I was going to ask so, if it changed. Oh yeah. Oh sorry. I was going to ask so why not just revive yeah. Gentlemen Prefer well, Blondes. Well because she was older. Oh, so, right. Natural. So now, right. Yeah, I guess so fresh happens, off the boat doesn't really work. She's her husband yeah. you know and we're all you know and then she and then the first scene she did that, and then she sang this song. It's nice looking back, looking back <laughs> on your past when you've a past full of memories that last. So, you know, and that song Great. took us back to, to Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. It just took me back there. basically did Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Yeah. And once oh. in a while, she would talk to the audience to, you know, get the plot moving. And uh, <laughs> that was about it. Wait, so, uh, we so went, did they tweak uh, it a lot on the road? I mean, was well, there a lot of... We went through four directors and four choreographers. So Leighton didn't stay with it the whole... No. What happened, we got out of town... And uh, the, the show was in pretty good shape. And uh, we played Oklahoma City, mm -hmm. which uh, Vanita Cravens, who was the lady who was in charge there, of the, the booker or whatever we want to call it, the impresarius, whatever mm -hmm. name she had. <laughs> She's quite, quite interesting lady. Like and I had met her before with applause. So that's another story. We got to Oklahoma City, and uh, we were going from Texas to Oklahoma City. And the producers wanted Betty to go a day early to do press. And she didn't want to do it because she said, why am I doing press if we're sold out? Mm -hmm. And they said, well, the lady there who's in charge has arranged all of this, and it just means a lot to us. And then the producer came to me and said, Leroy, talk her into it, and we'll let you go with her. Oh. Oh. And so I said, well, Betty, let's go. We, we'll leave you know, after the performance on that Sunday. We'll get in there Sunday night. 
and uh, have a lovely dinner, and then we'll do the press on Monday, have a nice day off, and we'll do Tuesday. Right. She said, well, you can come with me. I said, yeah. They said, they want me to go with you, and your hairdresser. She said, okay. So she decided to do so. We had a great time. Oh, we, fun. We got drunk on the plane, and yes. we arrived in Oklahoma City, and I mean, the- we were uh, uh, Ringo's, the, the phone in Betty's suite, and it was Vanita Cravens. And she said, uh, I'd like to speak to Lauren Bacall. And, of course, Betty's looking at me, shaking her head no. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm sorry, Miss Bacall is indisposed at the moment. She's getting her hair done, which she was. And I said, but I'm Leroy Reams, and I, I will give her the message. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I'm not used to talking to anyone but the star. And I said, well, I'm sorry, she's not available. So she said, well, just tell her to be on the elevator, come down promptly at 12 o'clock, because we have the governor of the state here to greet her, and he's a very busy man. And when you get off the elevator, make sure that you're not on her right, that she walks out to the uh, governor will be on her right, and he will escort her into the press conference. So then <laughs> that's... That's the, and I told Betty, and Betty said, who the fuck is that dyke anyway? I mean, and that's really what she said. And I'm, that's really, I'm telling you, this is what it was. And I said, well, I don't know about that. But anyway, she said, you know, I don't like the way she treated you. And so anyway, so Betty's still getting her hair done. It's 12 o'clock. She's not ready. Ring goes the phone. Uh-uh. And it's Vanita Cravens uh-uh. again. We're waiting. And I said, I'm sorry, Miss Cravens. We're running a little bit late, but Miss Bacall is in. So but I said, I have a mind when I meet her to tell her off. I mean, who the fuck? So anyway, as we go down in the elevator, so Betty's already like a little mad. Yeah. And the door opens. The elevator door opens. And here's this woman in like a, a big... Like, I remember this being like a white fur coat or a mm-hmm. fur coat of some kind. She looked just like Gail Sondergaard with, like, dark hair. She had all this wonderful Indian jewelry. <laughs> Oklahoma, so, of yeah. course, I, I punched Betty, and I said, guess which one is Vanita Cravens? Well, Betty laughed, and that calmed her down. So we went through the thing, and Vanita Cravens kind of they stayed away from Betty because she knew that, you know, Betty was not easy. And I was the one in charge of, you know, every 10 minutes telling the person they had to move on to get another right. person. So suddenly I'm doing all of this and I'm not getting anything out of it yeah. except I thought now when they see me in the show, if the critics are here, they're going to hate me because I'm the one, you know, shooing them away from her. But anyway, we got through it and everything was fine. And, uh, and uh, then Betty said, you know, I love the jewelry that that woman had on. She said, tell her to come down and let's buy some of that while we're here because Halston is designing all these fabulous plain clothes. That jewelry would look so great with his outfits. Mm. And so I said, okay. So Vanita Cravens came to the theater with a suitcase full of turquoise jewelry to show us all about it and where we oh should go shopping. So goodness. we actually became friendly, and she turned out to be a charming, lovely, lovely lady. Oh. And Bacall liked her. So, you know, it has a happy ending. So fade out now. Yeah. And Vanita Cravens is, of course, one of Carol Channing's best friends. And that's why we're doing our world premiere in Oklahoma City, which uh, means, oh, which means of course, sense. we're going to get great reviews. Let's hope. Right? Yeah. And you couldn't lift up a toilet seat without seeing a decal of Lorelei. <laughs> you know, so the theater was and we had this big spectacular opening, and Comden and Green were there, who you oh. know, had uh, re- had written some songs with Julie Stein, right. some new songs, and uh, Gail Parent and Kenny Soames had done the book. Right. Was they Julie were- Stein around at all? Was Julie Stein around? Oh, yeah. yeah. And Julie, yeah. of course, was there. Yeah. I love Julie Stein. Oh. As a matter of fact, once I was cast in the show, I was at the theater one night, and 
I felt a poke and I turned around. It was Julie Stein. And he said, hi. I, I said, Mr. Stein, how, how lovely to see you. He said, uh, you're, like, you're going to be in our show. You have a good audition, kid. I said, thank you, Mr. Stein. He said, yeah. He said, now I'm going to give you one of my trunk songs I wrote for uh, Fred Astaire. It goes something like, baby, I want you. Baby, I need you. Oh, I don't give what the fuck the lyrics are. It's a great song. You'll love it. I instantly fell madly in love with him. Yeah. He was just one of those great people. Little man, just full of showbiz. And if you don't like this one, how about this one? I mean, he could write a show a day. Yeah. He just was incredible and so charming. They're all there. We, we do this and we get out of town. And uh, I, I love Joe Layton. We thought the show was great. And then we go to the next town, which I think was Texas. And Were uh, the reviews okay in Oklahoma? The reviews were, okay. the reviews were great. Good. So we get ready to go to Texas now. Joe Layton told me he said, I'm so tired. He said, I didn't have some, any time off. And his boyfriend had been hired to be like the company photographer to do, you know, take pictures of the show and everything. And also Joe's wife was there too. Now, explain all of that. Uh, but that's the way it was. That's just that's the, the way, way it was. was. Okay. He had his boyfriend and his wife. And everybody seemed to get along great. So who, who was to judge? Yeah. So Joe said, I'm going to go to Mexico and take a vacation because I'm really tiny. So I'm not going to let them know where I am because they'll want me back here working because Carol and Charles, you know, and everybody were mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, involved <clears throat> in making the, mm-hmm. doing the show. So uh, they, he did, and they couldn't find him. And we go to Texas. Whoops, the reviews weren't that good. So everybody panicked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. Joe needs to be back here working on the show. Blah, 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 blah. And uh, so they couldn't find him. And Evie wasn't going to tell them, and I didn't know where he was. So they fired Joe Layton. And Comden and Green took over as directors, and they brought in wow. Ernie Flat to do the choreography. Yeah. Who had, you know, done the, the Gary Moore show. Okay. And he had also done Superman. Oh, yeah. And it was friends with Comden and Green. I, yeah. I can't remember whether, I think he did Fade Out, Fade In. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. And so that, that was the big connection. And I knew Ernie very well. Of course, he gave me my first job at Juliet's nightclub. Oh, yes. Yeah, going back. So you see, it's, yes. all, it's all cyclical. It is. So here we are, and we're rehearsing, and they're trying to fix the show. And Joe Layton is gone. And, and Comden and Green were so funny as directors. They would stand there together and you would ask a question and they would whisper in each other's ear ear, and then one of them would give you the answer and that's the way they, it was very funny but that's the way they worked okay. you would ask a question they'd stop they'd converse with one another and one of them then would give the answer Wild. so the show wasn't it was still an entertaining show but yeah. obviously it was having some trouble mm-hmm. and we rehearsed mm-hmm. a lot on the tour for that year mm-hmm. and uh, as we continued going on. Then the, the creative people would come out, work a little bit, then they would go away. We would play for a while, then they come out again. And then they realized that Comden and Green were not really working out well as mm-hmm. the director. And then Ernie Flatt couldn't come back because he had other obligations. And Bobby Tucker had come out to work on a couple of things. And by this time, we were in San Francisco. Wow. And they had taken out Kiss Apart, which is a lovely ballad. Mm -hmm. And the second act, and Joe was very creative. He did it like a marathon dance number Mm. where people were falling asleep while they were dancing, waiting for Lorelai to come to her wedding. (laughs) And I sang the song, and I loved it. And I thought it was very clever. But they felt they needed a peppier song. So the new song was coming in, and I went in that day to listen to it with Julie Stein and Comden and Green, who had done the lyrics. And it was called, no, what was it called? Um, 
Let's Live in Sin. It was a brand new song? Brand new song. Wow. That they had written. And so they start doing this song. And uh, I, I can do a little bit of Please. it for you. I can't do the whole thing. But it started about, I don't want to hear wedding bells. I don't want to take vows. Mm. I don't want to sign licenses. Let's live in sin. And what it was in the show, Henry kept asking Dorothy to marry him. And she kept saying no. And finally in this last scene, she says, okay, Henry, I'll marry you. And he says, no, I don't want to get married because I read this book last night. And he goes in this number, let's live in sin. So they do this. They did this number, and <laughs> Betty and Adolph sang it, it and Julie played it. Yeah. And I was confused. And the, the number ended, and Julie said, what's the matter? Don't you like it? Yeah. And I said, no, it's not that I don't like it. I'm trying to understand why I'm doing it. And Betty comes and said, well, don't you see, dear, during this period, there was a very famous book written about living in sin. I said, well, does the audience know that? Because I didn't. So, oh you know, I, I don't know. And Julie said, well, if you don't like the song, we'll go to someone else to sing. I said, it's not that I don't like the song, Julie. It's just I'm trying to understand why I'm singing it. Well, we put it in the show. And, of course, in the middle of the song went, boom, 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 boom. He said, let's find a jungle, a cozy little jungle. That's where we'll plant our roots, swinging from tree to tree to tree, in love in our birthday suits. And Tamara would say, pass the toast here. I go, like an onion. Oh, my gosh. So it was just the silliest song you ever heard. So we did it in San Francisco for a week. The audience was as confused as we were. (laughs) And then one day Julie was walking past me and he said, "Uh, the song stinks, doesn't it? I said, Julie, nothing you write stinks. He said, said, it just doesn't work. He said, I'll write you a new one. So then they wrote another song called She'll Get Her Man. So while we're waiting for Lorelai to arrive at the wedding, we sing this song, which I started out singing. Right. We, she blocked off all the exits to Yonkers. Lorelai Lee, she blocked off all the bridges to Brooklyn. Lorelai Lee, da-da-da-da, she'll get her man. Who? Miss Lorelai Lee. So when Lorelai wasn't on stage, we sang about it. He's still her, talking about which her. Which made Aww. a lot of sense, right? Yeah. And of course, in any Carol Channing show, she's going to be on stage. And the only time she's not is when she's changing clothes. Right. And Tamara and I were lucky because that's when we got to do our stuff while she changed clothes. Yeah. So our parts never really changed. Wow. But Dodie Goodman, who played my mother, one of the funniest mm. women in the world, yeah. her part got getting clipped. And Brandon Maggard, who played oh. the uh, a, a rich man who had some product or something and his part kept getting cut and Peter Palmer was the leading Uh-oh. man who had done Little Abner Little Abner yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. and yeah. so oh, yeah. Uh, that's what we were doing on the road and of course then uh, now going back during that part Peter Palmer was very upset because he wasn't getting any publicity because the only person who was was Carol Channing of course sure. and so when he got to Chicago he hired a press person and he got an article in the paper and the article was about how tough it was being Carol Channing's leading man oh that's right and so Carol's husband said from now on Peter Palmer's not the leading man Leroy Reams is and he will be the one who will accompany Miss Channing on her you know various uh, press junkets and well, stuff. Well, so I became well. part of the act with Carol and her husband, and so we became really, really close. That's and I went every place with them, and they would take me out. And they were Charles was very smart. What they would do, they would have the critic from the town we were going to come see the closing performance. Then we would go out afterward and have dinner. And nine times out of ten, I'm just being honest, the critic was usually gay. Uh-huh. Not always, but most of the time and in doing so I was there as eye candy and to smile and be pretty Mm -hmm. and you know so that was a whole little thing so we would put on this little act and I was you know part of it and Carol would woo the, uh, the you know the critic and of course Charles kept a book 
on all the critics, their names, what their last conversation was. And so uh, then I, I remember one in particular when and Charles gave Carol this apple. And Carol said, Charles, what's this apple for? He said, well, this is the critic who said he liked that, that these apples. So, and of course, Carol said, oh, look, I brought you your favorite apple. Well, the critic would go, oh, my God, I can't remember. You believe that. So, I mean, they knew how to work it. Every day she got up, did nothing but press all day long. Uh, she did everything. It was incredible. I don't know how she had the energy to do this show. And today she's 95. Yeah, well, she's still, yeah. So you think about that. But she was wow. a, a producer's best friend, I can tell you that. So anyway, and, and we're doing business. We're doing well. But the show is not great. Yeah. And of course, they should have just stuck with the original concept because Joe had a lot of style with his work. And yeah. you know, after a while, the show begins to show that it's not quite fitting together yeah, and melding together. Yeah. So we're still working on it. And then, of mm -hmm. course, then uh, we get to L.A. and they decide that really what's wrong with the show is that the uh, chorus girls aren't pretty enough. What? That's so it. What? They, that was the problem they all fired, along. They fired like four of the chorus girls and brought in new girls. Oh, my God. Those poor and, girls. Uh, yeah. Well, you tell them. And when you say they, I mean, the, you're talking about the producers? Yeah. Who the, was and the, the creative uh, people. Yeah. The producers wow. and the creative people. This is crazy. And, yeah, so th they did that changeover, of course, there's a story there I can't tell you on the thing because I don't want you to go, but when we put the microphones down, you tell me and I'll give you a good story about Julie Stein and oh, one, of, one, of, one of the girls. Oh, one of the chorus so, girls. Yeah, All right. that's, that's mm -hmm. a good yeah, story. That's... Anyway, because that shouldn't be really be said. Yeah. It's too personal. But uh, then Dodie Goodman, I can tell this story because we would come in like every day to rehearse while we were on tour. And we got extra paychecks because they went past the legal time of rehearsing, which was fine with us. We were making extra money. I remember one day we went into rehearsal and we sat down with our coffee and our donuts waiting for Carol to arrive. And Dodie Gilman turned to me and she said, I know what's wrong with this show. I said, what, Dodie? She said, I know what's wrong with this show. So what is it? Don't you, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. They take all this shit and they spread it out and then they put it in a pile over here one day and a pile over there and it's all shit. So why are they doing that for? So anyway, I laughed my ass off. <laughs> Dodie Goodman was one of the funniest people in the world. But that's what was happening. Yeah. So we... Then uh, they bring in Bob uh, Moore, Robert Moore, yeah. the director, okay. who was Great our last director. director, and then Peter Gennaro oh. to redo the tap dance for uh, Tamara Long. And of course, it's another story that was funny when we were out of town. I'm telling you all my funny stories. Good. I love you, that. You can cut this out if it's too wrong. Oh, no. Nothing is. <laughs> the Julie Stein story, I, I don't want to put down on, but this one I can. Because dear Good. Tamara, she's gone now. You know, She was yeah. killed in a car accident. Oh, and, uh, but anyway, Tamara was this uh she was very thin and quite gorgeous and she had this philosophy about food combining she was a nutritionist where you do you never combine like uh, uh you know carbohydrates and this and that and it was all separated and you juiced a lot of stuff to <laughs> drink juice and so we all got juicers and her big thing was how you would clean yourself out with enemas to keep get rid of the toxins. Oh, so she had all okay. of us, you know, buying enema bags on the tour oh and taking enemas and doing the food processing and all of this. It's quite, quite funny. Mm. But then she, her energy was sometimes low, so they were going to replace her. And they brought out Helen Gallagher, oh. who took one look at the show and said, well, first of all, I can't play opposite him. He's too young. So she left, and they brought out Skipper Damon, who didn't stay past intermission. She ran. So then that was, and I was there the day that Julie Stein said this. It was so funny. They were in the meeting, and Julie Stein said, all right, look, 
We're stuck with Tamara along, that's it. But I'll get a performance out of that girl if I have to shove a stake down her throat and take a knife to that enema bag. <laughs> and everybody's sitting around at this meeting. And I was only there because of Carol, you know. Yes. So it was just, but everybody was so serious at the meeting. I mean, if you put this in a show, they would say, no, you, that I, didn't happen. I didn't believe it, yeah. That didn't happen. It did. <laughs> so anyway, so we come back to New York City with Lorelei. We open at the Palace Theater again. Mm-hmm which was great and we got mixed reviews they were they were great reviews but they were rather mixed and you know basically they said you know carol's wonderful and you know but uh, the show's basically a rehash of gentlemen prefer blondes and uh, so we limped through the summer and in the fall carol's husband had gone ahead and booked her thinking the show would close by then oh. but it didn't business actually picked up in the fall and the producers didn't want to let her out of her contract. No way. So Charles said, if you'll let her out of the contract, I'll do a summer tour for you next year, which he did. I didn't do the tour, though. I was doing something else. But that's how it was. So Lorelei really didn't close because of uh, lack of business. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a hit, a big hit, but it was doing, you know, business. And uh, so that's the story of Lorelei. But that cemented my friendship with, with Carol oh, and Charles. Oh, yeah, indeed. And uh, so then... As time goes on, in between things happen, which were not that substantial. So now, that was like 73, 74. Yes. So now let's get up to uh, uh, 78. Okay. And this is when Hello, Dolly! is happening. The first revival. The first room. Uh, Houston Grand Opera. Right. Carol Channing, the star. And I got a call from Carol. And she said, hi, Leroy, it's Carol. Darling, I'm going to do a revival of Hello, Dolly, and I want you to play Cornelius Hackle. But Jerry Herman and Lucia Victor, the director, don't know you. But don't worry, darling, you've got the part. So I auditioned for Jerry Herman and Lucia Victor and indeed got cast as Cornelius Hackle. Brilliant. And again, for Houston Grand Opera, we're going to tour for a year and then cut back to Broadway. These tours, my God. Unheard of today. But what happened is that Carol sold out on tour, so the show was paid off by the time we got back to New York. So it's really brilliant. Actually, yeah, totally. And and, and it was very much, you know, the original Gower Champion Mm -hmm. concept because Lucia Victor was his production stage manager Mm -hmm. on the original. So we were doing all the original stuff. And uh, we had a great time doing the tour. And that's when I met Jerry Herman. And this is a big brag, but only because it was a big compliment and a high point in my life when Jerry came to see a run-through when we were in rehearsal. And we did the scene where we did uh, It Only Takes a Moment, Florence mm-hmm. Lacey. And well, to go back for the first day of rehearsal, uh, I was told that the woman playing Irene Malloy was one of Jerry's best friends. Uh-huh. So I, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, I wonder what this is. You know, probably right. some overweight you know, fag hag, I don't know, you know, <laughs> friend of Jerry's. I didn't know what to expect, but I wasn't expecting what I saw. And then walked Florence Lacey, this beautiful mm. Irish girl yeah. who just sang with this huge big belt voice. And she was just stunning. Mm-hmm. So at first, first day of rehearsal, I said, I have something funny to tell you, Florence. I, I mean, I'm not going to get into particulars, but when I was told that you were Jerry Herman's best friend, I, you just can't imagine what I thought you were going to look like. She said, well, stop right there. When I was told that you were Carol Channing's best friend, imagine what I thought I was going to see. So, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so let's go back now to when Jerry saw the first run through in a rehearsal room. Okay. And we got to It Only Takes a Moment. And we mm-hmm. finished it. And Jerry jumped up in these tears. 
were streaming down his face and he said, all my years, I finally had the two voices that I hear in my head singing my songs. Wow. And he said, I now have that. These are the two voices I hear in my head when I sing my song, when I write my songs, yeah. me and Flo, which of course, I, I mean, mean, I was just devastated. Yeah. And everybody clapped in rehearsal, so it was a love fest. It doesn't get any oh, better We had a now. wonderful time, and we were very, very successful on yeah. tour, and I loved the show. And we came back to New York, and we opened to, to good reviews, but the reviews weren't spectacular because many, many times when they do revivals, and the original star comes back once again, you're competing with the audience's memories. Indeed, mm. yeah. And so, and you can't always compete with that. And there also isn't as much an interest. That's but anyway, we had lots of good, good times yeah. on tour, and uh, Carol and Charles were very good to the company. They would have movie night and rent a movie theater mm -hmm. and take us to a movie theater to show us a, a first-run movie. See, what a Carol, great producer. Carol what would, a great star. Yeah, and Carol would get behind the counter and serve us popcorn and candy. I just love it. Of course, you know, she wasn't allowed to eat any of that stuff. And the whole thing was about her, you know, her allergies, that she was allergic to insecticides and pesticides. And so all of her food was organically grown mm. and prepared with a, an assistant, like in a hotel room. They would Ooh. set up hot plates and they would, oh, you know, wow. prepare the food for her and she didn't eat commercial food mm -hmm. and all of that. And uh, I think part of that, she may have had allergies to a degree, but I know that Bibby Osterwall, who was Carol's uh, original understudy on Broadway in Hello, Dolly, and also played in... Uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Mm -hmm. uh, Bibby said that Carol, when she was doing Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, when her roots would show, she would mix peroxide, put it on her roots, then go out and do the first act and wash it out at intermission. Because she had very short hair when she did that. And of course, it was burning her hair. And uh, yeah. so with all the problems going on, and then of course, trying to keep her air in condition, and uh, that's when she started wearing wigs. Oh, you know, the blonde wig, so she wouldn't have to sense. do all of that. And she had normal hair. You know, there was yeah. nothing wrong with it. It was normal hair, and it was brown hair, and it had a little bit of gray in it when uh -huh. I knew her. And uh, I know the first time I saw her real hair was during Lorelei was called down for a meeting after the show because we were planning something. And uh, knocked on the door, and Charles said, who is it? I said, it's a Leroy. He said, come on in. Carol's naked, but you don't care. And Carol was stark naked. And that's when I saw her real hair. And she covered her breast and put her legs together as we would talk. But then when she would talk, she would open everything up and talk. And when she'd finish, she'd close her legs and put her hands over her breast. So it was so funny having this conversation <laughs> oh God, with her. Can't even. And how can you explain that to someone? But it's a true no, story. I, I, and then years later when we were doing <clears throat> Hello, Dolly, when we were doing uh, When I Directed, mm -hmm. the thing we would have meetings of Bill Bateman, who was the choreographer, he had never seen that, and we were called him one night, and that same thing happened with us, you know. And I just I couldn't look at him because I knew I'd laugh because I'd seen that before, but he hadn't. And when we left, I turned and said, "Well, Bill, what do you think?" He said, "Makes me want to go home and iron everything I own." <laughs> <laughs> funny, funny guy. But anyway, now obviously you don't know this in 1978, but Jerry Herman's going to play a huge part in your life again, yes. as is Hello Dolly. Yes. What makes Jerry Herman? So good. Well, because he writes with his heart. Uh, Jerry is a very optimistic, hopeful person who doesn't really like to say bad things about anybody and is always very positive 
and just has music in his soul. And I know that Julie Stein once said to me, you know, Jerry Herman is really the Irving Berlin of his generation. Oh, nice. Which is a great compliment. That is. And Jerry writes with his heart. And I have to say, any score of Jerry's, you can take any song from it and play it on a piano with nothing else going on, and the words make sense and the music makes sense. And you, it's... He ha- he's incapable of writing a bad song. And I think that's why his scores and his shows continue to thrive. What, what, and even the less successful ones. Oh, yeah. I, 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 Mac yeah. Mabel, for instance, yeah. which is his favorite score. And it's just brilliant. Well, I like Dear World. Yeah. Oh, I do, too. I like yeah. the Grand Tour. I do, too. I like the Grand Tour a lot. Oh, Grand yeah. Tour. Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite Jerry Herman song? Oh, my if you God. Have to pick, I, I know. You have I to pick one, though. I can't pick a favorite. I love them all. Well, but the one that I sing all the time yeah. is It's Today. Yeah. I mean, that's such a good opener. And yeah. It just says so much about Jerry, too. And, of course, I know all the stories because and it was during uh, Hello, Dolly, that Jerry one day said to me that, uh, you know, he said, I really write for women. I said, that's not true, Jerry. I said, I, I sing your songs all the time. Mm. And, I, and so I started singing his songs. And when he would go places, he would take me along as his singer. Yeah. You know, and that's how we became so close with all of this, because I do feel that strongly about his, his material. And, uh, you know, and if, of course, I'll never forget after La Cage had opened on Broadway. And of course, uh, we were going out to do something. He asked me to go along and sing. And that's when he told me about him being HIV, uh-huh. which I knew, mm-hmm. but we didn't talk about it back then. And mm-hmm. he told me the whole story on the plane. And, and we were, you know, we are very, very close friends yeah. and have gone through a lot. And of course, when the show Hello Dolly originally was out of town, you know, he was treated very badly. David Merrick was bringing in other people to write songs, and they treated him really terribly out of town. Then he had this big success. And when Jerry wrote the book, he didn't really get into that. I said, why didn't you tell that story, Jerry, about how badly? He said, well, the show was such a hit, and we made so much money, and, you know, why dwell on unhappy things? Well, he is such a nice guy. Gosh. But, you know, I thought that would have been great because they did treat him badly, and Gower did. They all did. And, you know, he came back into town, of course. And, you know, there were some songs in the show that he didn't write. But uh, it has a happy ending, and I think that's Jerry. You mm. know, he yeah. believes in the happy ending. <laughs> and, yes, he um, is. But anyway, Hello Dolly cemented that relationship with Jerry, and of course with Carol. And then when we did the revival of Dolly in '94. Uh, I was doing uh, Beauty and the Beast on Broadway then, mm-hmm. but uh, I so I was you know jumping sides right, of the avenue, and, and uh, you know we brought back the revival with Carol, and again they went on tour for a long time and brought it back and then when they went out on tour again with it after it closed on Broadway uh, Carol asked me to play Cornelius which uh, I said sure I was 52 then yes so you know I said we'll just take out that 33 year old chief clerk line <laughs> and, uh, but I've got pictures I look pretty good I, I bet you great. do yeah, but we went back and finished out that three month tour <laughs> and uh, then that was it Amazing. Yeah. And then after Hello, Dolly, 42nd Street. Yeah. Right? Well, it was, yeah, and it, it was during Hello, Dolly, the first, mm. you know, the yeah. first revival, yeah. uh, that Michael Stewart had told me that he was writing 42nd Street. Right. And, of course, I knew the film. Oh, yeah. And I said, oh, Mike, I, I'm right for the, you know, the Dick Powell role. Yeah. And he said, yes. And, of course, I didn't hear anything for a couple of years. Yeah. And then suddenly I got a call that I had an audition for 42nd Street. 
And uh, I said, great. And the character, and they said, Andy Lee. I said, no, wait a minute. Is oh. that the, the Dick Powell part? Is that, I don't remember that. I said, no, that's Billy Lawley. You're too old for that. I was 38 then. I was 38 years old. And so I said, oh, well, I was going to take the call. And Bob, of course, is writing furiously on a paper, take the audition, take the audition, underlining it. So for my audition, I told my accompanists we're going to open with my uptune. Uh-huh. I said, don't wait for them to say ballad. Go right into the ballad. And uh, I went in. I can't remember now exactly what I sang for my uptune. It was probably, I probably did, um, I don't know whether I, 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 I don't know whether I sang It's Today or whether I sang uh, Almost Like Being in Love. I always did. And then my ballad I sang I Only Have Eyes for You because I love that song. And that was, you know, and of course I love Ruby Keeler and Dick yeah. Powell. And, and I looked up at the balcony and of course I pictured Ruby Keeler's face as I sang to it and all that. So I did my yeah. ballad. And then Tony Kay, who was one of my best friends, a brilliant dancer from California, who was one of the Carol Burnett dancers, among many other mm-hmm. things. And she was in town, and we had done a show together, and uh, I had choreographed a tap dance for us. So I had Tony come out, and we did this big tap dance together. So I did one, two, three numbers in a row, dead silence. Yeah. And coming down the aisle, I could see Gower Champion walking to the stage. And he called me front, and I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, <clears throat> you're really not right for the role of Andy Lee. I said, yes, I know that. He said, you're very right for Billy Lawler. I said, yes, I am. <laughs> I got it. I knew that that was my part. Then, of course, Gower was famous for changing his mind, you know. Oh, yeah? He would cast people and then change his mind. You know, it oh, happened oh, on Mac and that. Mabel, because they used to call it Mac and Maybe. Because <laughs> <laughs> they went through, Marsha Rod was originally cast out, then Kelly Garrett, and then the next oh, one was Bernadette. Bernadette. Wow. So, you know, and Penny Fuller was in the running for that in the beginning, oh, too. Yeah. Cheapers. For Mac and Mabel. And Jerry Orbach, by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that Original. I did. That, well, yeah. that makes yeah. sense, yeah. actually. Like, yeah. yeah. But anyway, and Gow was, and of course, with 42nd Street, you know. I mean, yeah. There was an, uh, we'll get to that story. That's coming next. But uh, anyways, then I got a call that Gower wanted me to come back again and audition. And that I was to do exactly what I did before. But Tony Kay had gone back to California ah. by that time. So uh, I was going to do a number of my own. And I was going to dance for him again. And, of course, you know, my agent said, well, you know, now, Leroy, you thought you had it, but, you know, he's famous. for, and So now everybody in town's going to be there. And you're, mm-hmm. So I went back, and I was afraid. I thought, well, that's fine. Th- think of it as a callback. I went back. And there weren't other, any guys there. It was just me. So Gower said, I'm getting ready to pick Peggy Sawyer. And he said, I wanted to get another look at you before I start picking the girl. Hmm. So I just wanted to see you do your thing again. So I thought, well, that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. And then time goes on. Then I get a call that Gower would like for me to come in uh, to rehearse with the girl that may be Peggy Sawyer. And his two dance assistants, Karen Baker and Randy Skinner, will be there. And I knew Karen because we you know, went to school together at the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> I, and I knew Karen. So... I came in, and again, you know, my agent said, you know, this is really, Leroy, you shouldn't be going to these things without a contract. I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm secure enough. I, I, I just know that this is mine, and I'll go. So Gower, Karen, Randy, and the girl is Lisa Brown. Mm. So I met Lisa, and Gower worked with us, in, and she sang and danced and everything, and she was going to be the girl that may have the part. So when... She finished and she left the room. Gower asked us, 
Karen, Randy, and me, what did you think of the girl? And I said, well, I think she's adorable. I said, I think she has a wonderful personality, and I like her very much. And Randy Skinner really didn't say much one way or the other. And Karen Baker said, well, her tapping is not very strong, Howard. She's not a strong dancer. Hmm. And I said, well, I disagree. I said, I don't think she's necessarily that dancer, dancer person, but I said she could do it. Mm. And I said, I just think her personality is so right for it. Mm. And I think she's the character. Well, she got the part. Oh, wow. Now, but she hadn't signed the contract. So that weekend before Lisa, and Lisa was in Best Little Whorehouse, uh, she handed in her notice. She was on a soap opera. They gave her you know, a oh, leave of absence no. to do the show. And she still hadn't signed her contract, which oh. she was going to do on Monday. Well, that weekend, they had another open call. And Wanda Richard came to the open call. And Gower said, oh, that girl is really terrific dancer. And Karen Baker said, yes, that's the girl that uh, was in Chicago, did Chorus Line and sent you the tape that you, you know, re remember looking at. And she's a wonderful dancer. And Gower said, well, let's keep her after and see if she could be the understudy. And he read her, changed his mind. Oh, so no. Lisa Brown was called on Monday and said, guess what? You don't have the part. And she had nothing legally written down. The, the, she got back on her soap. But, but then the, the good story is that she, was, she replaced Wanda when Wanda left she did. the show. Oh, nice. she got to do so it. she got to do it, and she was wonderful. Oh, I bet. And, uh, you know, she just was, had the character down pat. Uh -huh. But, you know, and you have to admit, Wanda is a brilliant dancer. Mm -hmm. And dancing with Wanda was one of the joys of my life. Oh, mm -hmm. I mean, we came in uh, a week before the company started rehearsal. Mm -hmm. Just Gower, mm -hmm. Karen, mm -hmm. Randy, me, and Wanda. Mm -hmm. And we worked on the 42nd Street number and uh, created all the, the pas de deux and yeah. everything that was there. And that was done on us. Gower wow. did that on our bodies. That's incredible. And he was really quite brilliant. And I think his work on that show was the best of everything. I mean, he brilliant. Dolly is brilliant. But 40 seconds, 42nd Street really brought in that whole thing of the opening of the second act. It was sort of like the modular thing they had mm -hmm. in uh, Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah. And it was kind of like a combination of all of his stuff. And just, he yeah. staged Lullaby of Broadway one day off the top of his head with all of us. It was brilliant. We did We're in the Money. That was not my number originally. Oh, my goodness. We were, we were in rehearsal, and he said, you need a number. And I'm going to give you uh, We're in the Money because it was supposed to be the girls. And he said, no, you don't have a number, and that's going to be yours. And we went into a room and put it together, and I did my tapping. Gower didn't really tap. Yeah. So he told me what, how to move, where to go, and I added my steps. And that's how we did it. And we did it in the afternoon. Insane. Randy, Karen, me, and Gower did We're in the Money in an afternoon. Wow. But that first week, it was just us working together. And I'm telling you, it was one of the most exciting times of my entire life mm -hmm. because it was so focused, and uh, it doesn't get better than mm -hmm. that. And uh, Gower told us then that he had an anemic blood condition. And he said, I sometimes have to go in and get a blood transfusion while they you know, fix what's wrong. And we didn't think two things about it because, you know, he's a very handsome man and mm -hmm. had all this energy and everything and was quite brilliant. And so we never gave it a second thought, you know. And I know that when we finished that first week, uh, he got us together and he said, you know, I, I really like what you all are doing and I'm really proud of the 42nd Street number and the Pas de Dieu. And he said, I just want to thank you for your input and I just want you to it's very important to me that you understand how much I 
thank you for your hard work. Well, I cried. Yeah. I got tears in my eyes. It yeah. was so wonderful. But you see, we didn't know. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what he was really saying. And so, and he said, and of course he said, because we're never going to have this time together again because now I'm going to be under the pressure of the full company and having to put up with Dave and Merrick, which he says is a, you know, something that I've put up with the past and right. my, uh, my law, my, you know, doctors didn't want me to do the show because they said, you know, uh, you're, you, it's going to be so stressful, stressful for you yeah. because of David Merrick. Because, you know, Gower had been through Dolly and had been through Mac and Mabel. Yeah. David was in a, not allowed to rehearsals until we got into run-throughs. Mm-hmm. Until he said, but of course, once we started doing public performances, then David was there in full, you know. So that's the way it was. And, and the rehearsals for 42nd Street were going so beautifully. I knew the show was going to be a hit. The numbers were just too good. The book was debatable because you know it, it's rather sketchy and, yeah but the it's numbers era. We, we i knew it was going to be a hit i just knew it <laughs> and uh, i know f- first day that david merrick met me and he came in to see like a little run through he did and david merrick said you're very good in the show i said well thank you mr merrick he said don't call me mr merrick my name's david hmm? i'm hmm. not your father david was always really terrific to me and you know <laughs> sally fields said he liked me <laughs> and uh, so we got out of town, and we opened, and the reviews were mixed. Mm. They liked a lot of yeah. the numbers, but they thought the, 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 the book was rather sketchy, and mm. so they picked at it. They picked at it, and David Merrick uh, only had one other producer, and David Merrick told that guy that I don't know his name now. He said, but I don't think the show's going to be a hit, and I, I'll buy you out. So he bought the interest, so he became the singular producer. <laughs> and the guy, did, the guy sold him back the well, rights. Laughed him all the way to the bank. So yeah. we had the one producer. Yeah. And then uh, the 42nd Street number originally was done in black and white with splashes of red. Mm. And Wanda was in like a red outfit that matched the other two little girls that danced with her. And uh, Gower said, and we were in white soldier uniforms, and after we opened, Gower said, uh, and I'm, I'm just telling the truth. Gower came back the next day and said, Leroy, uh, I'm losing Wanda in the number because all I do is watch you. Huh. He said, so I'm going to have to change it. I've given you too much to do in the show. <laughs> I said, well, I don't apologize for that, Gower. I don't apologize for being good. So he changed the costumes and put us all in multicolors. And then they used that black and white costume for the ending of the first act which you know the number where the star breaks her ankle and all that. That's and then right. Later we changed clothes, so they kept the clothes. But we had all the different, and of course, the Dawn Wanda was put into that bluish-purple dress mm. with all the sparkles on it. Yeah. You know? So, you know, because he, and, you know, rightfully so, she is basically the star of the show. Yeah. And, and she needed to have that, oh, my God, should I get into that? See, I'm getting at all this sex stuff with you guys. Uh, we don't mind. Because don't mind. Gower and Wanda, you could see an attraction happening. Yes. And Gower was notorious for having, you mm-hmm. know, flings mm-hmm. with uh, various people. It supposedly happened with uh, Liza when they did the act. Oh. And also with Eileen Brennan out of town with Hello Dolly. I'm telling another story out of town, but it's been told that uh, you may not want to put this in either, but we're just, you know, this is for the... 11 yes. o'clock show <laughs> that uh, uh, at the opening night David Merrick had a party for the principals 
Uh-huh. With the intrigue. Just the principles. Which was, yeah, just yeah. the principles. And the kids all went up to Georgetown to go out. Okay. And Wanda went with the kids and Gower's son, Greg. Uh-oh. They come down for the opening and they all went to Georgetown. So the next day now we're walking to rehearsal and John Moss, who was David's assistant, told me, he said, oh, you'll never guess what happened last night. Wanda went to bed with Greg, champion. I said, really? And Wanda and Gower had not done it yet, but obviously the attraction was there. And so when I went to rehearsal, Wanda said, oh, my God, Leroy, I did a mis- big mistake last night. I went to bed with Greg. I don't know what to do. I said, well, I'll tell you what you have to do. You have to be an adult. She said, Gower's not speaking to me today. I said, well, you have to tell him why you did it. That's all. Just go up and say, I want to talk to you after rehearsal and be honest with him and tell him why you did it. So then the next day, going to rehearsal, John Moss runs up and says, why do they call Wanda Richard Wheaties? I said, why? He said, because she's the breakfast of champions. She went to bed with Gower last night. David heard them because he's got the room next door to Gower's at the hotel. And so Wanda, I go to rehearsal and Wanda says, Leroy, thank you so much. I told Gower that I was so frustrated being in love with him that because I couldn't have him, I was frustrated. So I just had the no next way. thing that was him. And that was, you know. No way. And of wow. course, then Gower took her up and fucked her. So that was it. <laughs> and now, now, now they are having an affair. Oh now it's God. open. So now it's started. Now yeah. it's open. Now, I was close mm-hmm. with Wanda and Gower and all that relationship. I backed out of that. Smart. Because I thought, I'm not going to get in the middle of any no, of this intrigue. No. So I just stuck to the show and kept my nose clean. And uh, that's, that's what happened with wow. the show. And then, of course, we got back to New York, and David started making changes. And it's, the fascinating thing is that he wanted uh, Gower to fire Karen Prunzik because mm. David said she was ugly. Uh, oh, that she's Anytime Annie? No. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, didn't want her doing uh, Shuffle Off to Buffalo. Right. He wanted Wanda to do the number. And at one point, Wanda did do the number. Wow. And, but Wanda wanted a number of her own. And uh, that's a whole other story because I had a great idea to do I Only Have Eyes for You mm. featuring Wanda. But, and I presented it to Gower, but he said it was too Gene Kelly. And it was out. So uh, never got that in. And then they did uh, another number that Gower put in for, which didn't last. And then they were going to put in uh, another number for Wanda out of town in Washington, because this is a good story I can tell. And uh, it was called Lulu's Back in Town. And, of course, in the scene where he says, you're going out there, a youngster, and you've got to come back a star, which leads into Shuffle Off to Buffalo. Yeah. But in this case, uh, it, it opened up on, and we didn't see the number because Gower always worked in a closed room, mm. and no one was allowed in. And the day the number was going in the show, we were invited to the uh, rehearsal because it had to be a tech rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So we were invited to the company. So we went in. We had never seen the number except for the boys who were in it. It was just the boys and Wanda. So we went into the theater, and the moment comes, the curtain opens, it's a big balloon bar and the guys are dressed in white shirts with bow ties and aprons and they're singing give me back my mop and broom da 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 whatever the lyrics are da da cause Lulu's back in town and from behind this bar came a leg Wanda climbed up with this pink fringe leotard and did gotta get your old tuxedo press oh, gotta get like a hooch number we were all like what show this, is this is like Peggy Sawyer. I can't yeah. remember a single thing. And then she's doing Anne Margaret. I mean, what is this number? So anyway, that night the number went in the show. Uh-uh. And after the number was finished, David Merrick's walking by me, and I'm changing into my 42nd Street outfit. And David looked at me and said, know anybody who wants to buy a Lulu costume? <laughs> and the number was out. 
It was in the show one night and wow, that was a good decision. Yeah, good so decision. So that was it. Never saw it. And then John Engstrom, who was one of the chorus boys, got the costume, and every year he used to put it on with a blonde wig and do the number for us. We used to all scream and laugh. God bless him. <laughs> Keep it alive, John. Yeah. So that's what happened. But wow. we then we come into New York. Yeah. And. Uh, Gower is frustrated because David's messing with the yeah. show now Fussing. a lot, and that whole turmoil is happening. And we were supposed to have opened up the beginning of August, but David didn't feel it was ready, and he was changing things and doing this. And we used to do the show in full costume, full orchestra, full lights and everything, and the only person sitting in the audience was David Merrick. He was sitting in the audience, and that was it. And we put on this whole show. Wild. I'm telling you, this is truth. And then... Uh, David told us that we all could have a ticket that there was going to be an invited audience. And Cliff Jar, who was a writer for the New York Times, uh-huh. had been following the show. And there was all this mystery about the show not opening. And David had us all wear passes and had security guards at the theater where no one was allowed in. Oh, my gosh. Except the company. We had to show our pass to get in and out. And all this controversy was happening. Well, Cliff Jar had somehow gotten a ticket to that night. And when David Merrick found out that he was in the audience... David Merrick came out and canceled the show and said, we found a rat in the generator and we can't do the show tonight. And uh, so they, mean, emptied, they emptied the wow. house. He sat down and we did the show for him. And then Insane. We, and then one night, and at this time, Gower was not coming to the theater at all because he was upset because the show wasn't opening. Right. And then Gower became sick. And what happened is that Wanda would go and stay... Uh, at his apartment that he had and she went in one night because I know the, the inside scoop and she crawled in bed with him and he was having a hard time but there were two beds in the bedroom and sometimes she crawled in the other bed because he was restless because he mm-hmm. wasn't well mm-hmm. and uh, this one night he was particularly not well and Wanda finally went in the other bed then she got nervous and she went home and uh, Karen Prunzik was staying with Wanda then at her apartment and uh she said, I don't, what should we do? Well, they called Larry Gallagher, who was Gower's assistant, and they said, we think maybe Gower's not well. Well, he was not well, wow. and they took him to the hospital, and he never left the hospital. Oh. So then we knew that Gower was in the hospital, but we assumed that he was going to be all right. We didn't think he was dying, and we were not told anything like that. So, the, And then finally David said we're going to open on, I think it was August 25th, and it's interesting. I like that's also Ruby Keeler's birthday, huh. so hmm. it's very interesting. But anyway, uh, so we were told the show was going to open, and of course, during these performances, we would give it just David in the house. The kids brought their dolls and teddy bears and put them in the first two rows, so we would have an audience, you know, one night, which <laughs> was, was very funny. funny. And then David came into a party that one of the girls had thrown and threw the New York Times in the room and said, "Read when you're going to find out the opening," and he had picked the date. So then we only previewed for That's a couple of performances. Told <laughs> and in those days, opening night was opening night. Yeah, yeah. like for the critics, for yeah. everything. Yeah. Everybody came yeah. on opening night. Yeah. And we knew that Gower was not going to be there. So on the opening day, uh, we get a call that they call a rehearsal. My God, we had been doing this show for almost, you know, no. a few weeks there at the theater. So, yeah, but that was David. So we all went down and we were literally locked into the theater. And uh, we did the show that night, which went over great. I'm mean, like, you know, 15 curtain calls. It was yeah, incredible. Yeah. And the photographers are running down the aisle taking pictures. And David came out on stage. And we were all surprised. Yeah. And 
I thought he was going to say, I, Gower Champion, you know, could not be with us tonight, but I want to thank him for this great show. Right. I thought that, and instead he said, this is tragic, which got a laugh, because what was tragic about all those curtain calls? And then he said, Gower Champion died this afternoon. And that's the first time we had heard it. We did oh. not know. Everyone on stage. We ev- did not know, or had, and Wanda did not know either, because Gower's wife had come into town and was with him at the hospital. So Wanda was not even allowed at the hospital. Oh, my Uh, gosh. So she didn't get to see him. But prior to that, there's a story that's important. When we did our first performance in New York, it was an invited house. And David told us we could all bring one person. And it was only like half of the orchestra. But it was a great. Mm. And the people were going crazy. Mm -hmm. Well, after the show, I'm passing Wanda's dressing room. And Gower was there. And we hadn't seen him for a while. Mm-hmm. And of course, I went in and we all hugged and kissed and carried on. And I said, well, Gower, you finally got the New York audience tonight. We've got a hit. And uh, Wanda said, and it's all because of you, Gower. And he said, no, it's because of us. And he mm. put his arm around me, put his arm around her, and just hugged us so tightly. I, I cried. And that's the last time I saw him. Tune in next week for our part three of our interview with Leroy Reams. wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.